Um, uh, I haven't been around for a few weeks, so firstly apologies for that. I've been a little bit busy gallivanting around doing evangelism type things. But it's been great, been preaching around the place, seeing loads of people coming to Christ and all sorts of beautiful gospel things happen. But I have missed being around and I'm also aware there's one or two people that are, uh, are sitting here that I've not actually met yet because you're sitting here and you've come in the last few weeks. So my name's Carl Beach and I help start the church and uh, occasionally they let me speak. So that's me. Um, and, and I thought on, on this morning we would, we would look at the theme, go back a little bit into Matthew, because uh, we've been following this series through, haven't we? And um, I thought we'd look a little bit at uh, peacemaking um, and what it means to be a peacemaker, maybe build a little bit on some of the Beatitude stuff we've done before, and I'm going to try and keep this intensely practical. Um, there's so many things you could talk about on a, on a day like this. But I thought that would be really good, just some practical thoughts on how we can be people of peace. Because it is true that God is a God of peace. The Bible says that God is a God of peace in various different parts of the word, particularly in the New Testament. There's a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Romans 16:20 interestingly says that God is a God of peace who will crush Satan under his feet, which is a very interesting sort of dual statement, isn't it? One hand, he's a God of peace, but he's also going to crush the enemy under his feet. But that's in Romans 16 and various other bits in Hebrews and Thessalonians, and I could go on. And we also know, of course, as Dan reminded us as he prayed before we started in Colossians 1.20, it says that God made peace through the cross, actually through quite a brutal act of execution, the crucifixion, God made peace, which again is kind of like a dual thing, really. So we just really explore the grit of what it means to be a peacemaker and if you're sitting here this morning and you know Jesus and we, we walk in the light and knowing Christ that came at great pain and cost didn't it which is interesting when you start to unpack that someone once said to me actually as a little aside when I was at Bible college um, 20 years ago someone someone said to me this lecturer who is a pacifist or like an ultra pacifist he said wouldn't it be amazing if all the Christians in the world could agree that they won't kill each other? You think about that for a minute. I thought, what an extraordinary statement. Now, at the time, I said, I'm not a pacifist, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> That's why I said, I used to be a Baptist minister. You know, and, and it gets quite complicated. I'm quite glad we got an, an armed police force that would protect me if there's a nightmare or soldiers that would protect us if we're under threat. You know, we live with that duality, don't we? And Romans 14 talks about the authorities don't wield the sword in vain, but they have divine authority and, you know, to protect us or actually to dish out punishment or protection if needed. And so you have this weird thing. I'm not going to go into all of that right now. My Bible's disagreeing with me assertions. Uh, but let me just fix the... Can someone fix that while I'm speaking? Do that up. I've got to sort my Bible out. So, um, and also, we don't have a headset because we haven't got any money, so we got a handheld. So let me get me verses back. Thank you very much for your technical gifts there, uh, which, I, which I don't have. So thank you. Uh, uh, where was I? What did I just say? God's I was looking at my Bible. I'm testing you. Yes, wouldn't I? But what do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so good. So, yeah, so interesting thought, though, isn't it? What if all the Christians would agree in the world that they wouldn't kill each other? And I'm not going to go into a big theology of pacifism versus military action. I don't think that's the place for that 
this morning. I'd really want to focus on what it means to carry God's heart in these things. And um, for me, it means reflecting God's character. So if God is a God of peace, then we are filled with God's spirit. And if we are filled with God's spirit, we start to reflect God's character. Then it means that we are people of peace, isn't it? And if we are told that God is a peacemaker, then it means that we are peacemakers. And it means by definition that if we are not peacemakers, maybe we're not full of God's spirit. And that's quite a big challenge to me, actually. You know, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, that whole peace in there, if we are not reflecting that, then that says something. And isn't it extraordinary how as a Christian, we can go into many scenarios with other Christians and actually get involved in situations where people get quite chipped up with each other or weird were angry. You know, as a Baptist minister for a long time, uh, we used to have things called church members meetings. And sometimes it was more like the Colosseum. You know, it could get quite nasty out there. You know what I mean? You think that's a bit weird, really. And it, on social media, I'm, I'm often, if I'll be honest with you, I'm grieved. Like my heart grieves over some of the stuff that I read and see, right, that Christians bash each other relentlessly sometimes. And it just kind of like escalates and escalates and escalates and seems to just show a real marked absence of God's spirit at work. So what I did uh, was write down uh, six hallmarks for me of what it means to be a peacemaker. Uh, and they're just quick bullet points. Bullet point one, just a little thing you can take away and reflect on. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does a peacemaker look like? Point one, I think peacemakers swallow their pride. Have you noticed that rows escalate because of pride? Because you want to win the argument. Who here finds it very difficult not to have the last word? Me. I, I find it very difficult. So, for instance, if me and Karen, on a very rare occasion, are having a row, and then Karen says something, I need to reply because I need to be right. And then sometimes she'll say something, and I'll even walk out of the room and go, <laughs> quietly, <laughs> because I need to know that I said the last thing. And I reckon that you do that too. Yes, you do. Everyone thinks she's an angel in the church. <laughs> but we all do it. Do you know, it's that weird thing that rises up, that weird sort of, wickedness <laughs> like I must win but that's when stuff escalates and then arguments spin off into weird tangents so what started off as a, a mild disagreement about some crumbs around the toaster suddenly is wound back to in 1997 you said this <laughs> have you noticed that 
And it's like, and in the end, you can't even remember. Have you ever had such a bad row? You can't actually remember what the row started about. Have you ever done that? Don't look at me and go, no. Some of you are looking at me with a real sense of self-righteousness right now. Like, what are you talking about? How's he an elder of the church? I'm just saying, as an example, using myself, <laughs> that actually it's pride that does that. It happens at work. It can happen with our neighbours. I'm sure I told you before the time in my neighbour when we lived in Somerset completely flipped out of Karen, like massively unreasonably. And, and you know, it's like, you know, shout at me, you know, threaten me, but don't threaten my wife. Do you know what I mean? A bit like, don't, that's like precious territory. That is, that is DEFCON 1. You are now, you are going near the nuclear option. You know, you can have a go at the cat, you can attack the dog, but my kids and my wife, that's like, I turn into the Hulk. Like I could go green and do stuff, I get really cross. So I, this time when uh, Karen was very unreasonably attacked, while I was at work trying to be Christ-like and tell people about Jesus, <laughs> then I get this message that the neighbour's gone mental and mad. and So I want to just come back and sort it out, don't I? But I had to really, it was actually a real lesson. Got a real grip on myself. I put myself in a corner, I gave myself a talking to, and uh, walked round there, and uh, knocked on the door, and he was straight in my face. Like, he's ready for a fight. I think he must have been spying out the window as I walked up. Yeah, he's coming now, you know. <laughs> Here he is, that horrible bloke for Essex. <laughs> so... And I knocked on the door, and he was, the door opened, like you like that, and the door opens, and he's ready for a fight. And God gave me such grace. It's really weird. So I committed it to the Lord. Really gave me grace, actually. I looked at him, and my eyes, I must, because I know I can look a bit grumpy. They all take the mick out of me at work for this. I can look a little bit grumpy. But I must have, that time, looked a bit more like a doe idea or something, all like, all warm and loving. And because he opened the door, and he, he sort of, he went like, and then I went, you're okay. It's everything, how are you? How's your life at the moment? Is everything all right? And he went, no, it's not, it's everything's really bad. <laughs> we had this beautiful chat and a Mr. Kipling cake and a cup of tea and everything was sorted out. But I wanted to, even in the middle of that conversation, say, by the way, you know, don't shut my wife. You know, that, that, that last, you want to have the last word, but don't do it. Like sometimes... Point two, we have to lose an argument. I think to keep the peace, sometimes it's all right to lose an argument. And fellas, I would say, in this whole piece about loving your wives like Christ of the church, if you're a man who you married, it means I'm saying this, I've got to really try and put this into action. We, we should be the ones who apologise first, actually. And the women should now not hold that against the men and say, Carl said, you should probably like this. Because then it all falls apart. That's our get out of jail free card. So you've got to let the spirit of the Lord work in our hearts first, ladies, and we'll work it out. But actually, also I think saying things like, not I'm sorry, but would you forgive me, puts more power in the other person actually. But I think losing an argument, apologising first, and being gracious 
is a route to maintaining peace. Even in work situations. That can be really hard. If you're a leader at work, saying sorry to your staff is actually quite a vulnerable thing to do. I remember years ago, my, my church administrator, when I was back in Essex, he was a real top gun in Lloyd's Bank in the Treasury Service, and he was a director, had loads of staff, and they were under a lot of pressure. And he said to me, he told me once how uh, he was feeling quite down because in a moment of pressure, he just ripped into all his staff. And they'd made a mistake, but he got a bit shouty. And uh, it all went wrong. And uh, I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, I'm actually going to go in and apologise. I said, well, let me know how it goes. He went in on the Monday, and he said sorry to all his staff. He's a, he's a, this don't happen in that banking world, investment banking, apparently. You know, it's all a bit ego and money and power. And He went in there, and he said he got everyone into his office, and he said, I want to say to you that Although some mistakes were made, I shouted, and that was wrong. And actually, the way I conducted myself was wrong. And uh, it goes against everything I stand for as a Christian. Tell me, as a Christian, I'm, I want to say, sorry, would you forgive me? And, um, you know, call me out on this if I ever do that again, because I shouldn't be talking to you like that, and blah, blah, blah. I said, how did it go? And he went, someone actually cried, because I was under so much stress and pressure. I thought, that's amazing, that. And it really changed the dynamic of that team. But that's how Christians operate. That's how followers of Jesus operate. You know, we can lose an argument, and we can say sorry, and we can swallow our pride. I think they're just really important, practical points we've got to try and live by. I think we're also prepared in peacemaking to face tough stuff. And sometimes to maintain the peace, we have to have honest conversations with people and face difficult things. What tends to happen is, as Christians, this is just being very practical now about living in community together. What tends to happen is, we're not entirely honest with each other sometimes. And stuff builds up and builds up and builds up. And that's why church meetings can descend into chaos and bitterness, because you've actually not dealt with things quickly. And I have a phrase at work, and in any, any situation where I've been a leader, like I like to keep the floor swept clean. And I'm prepared to say the last 10%, the awkward thing that no one else wants to talk about. Like, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be down to a personal hygiene thing, or it could be the way someone keeps saying something, or inappropriate language. And, you know, like we call each other out of work if our humour goes a bit too far and stuff. But what we like to do is just confront things, not in a way that everyone's in fear all the time. Because you can say things really nicely if you're prepared to face things quite quickly. Do you know what I mean? Just... Just clear the decks and then walk away from it like it never happened. You've had the chat and that's it. Now, I'm not saying go around to each other at the end of this, during the tea and coffee and be brutally honest with each other and destroy everyone's lives. I'm not saying that because that would be an utter nightmare. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is keep short accounts and check your own heart first because actually it might be stuff in you that you've got to deal with. Often there's uncrucified ambition or ego and chipped upness that actually is more about you than the other person. Because here's the truth. We are all weird. All of us. Have you noticed how everyone else is weird apart from you? Have you noticed that? But actually, we all have our weird habits and our strange ways. 
and everyone's okay until you really get to know them and you can draw close to people. And people have said before, people much wiser than me, that we're like porcupines or hedgehogs on an iceberg. And we all need to draw close to each other to draw heat and warmth from each other, but the closer we get to each other, the more likely we are to prick each other in the skin and jump back. And actually, it can be a little bit like that, living in community and being a church family. Until you get to know people, everyone's okay until you start to get really close. Then you notice that people have habits that annoy you or mannerisms or things that they say. And I am acutely aware that there'll be things about me that you need to really overlook. And I will do the same to you. As you show me grace, I promise I will do the same back. Do you see what I mean? Everyone's normal until you get to know them, but actually the truth is we're all a bit strange. And some of that's sin, and some of it's just people, and that's just life. But being prepared to overlook an insult is also a very key point. Also, the next point is I think we should be prepared to make a stand as Christians on matter of conscience. Not necessarily on social media, is not the forum, but we should be prepared to take a stand on matters of conscience and sometimes take a hit on behalf of that. Uh, two years ago now, I was asked to pull together a video resource to help the church commemorate the uh, centenary commemorations of World War I. And so we got a team together and we produced a, a, a DVD resource and we interviewed soldiers and I gave a, did an evangelistic talk at the Menning Gate that was filmed and all kinds of stuff that was used by the UK church. But as part of it, we wanted to do something a bit different. We videoed an old lady who had an extraordinary story about her father. And we're just going to play this now and have a look at this about standing on a matter of principle for the pursuit of peace. It's a little-known side of history, isn't it? We often talk about that side of things, but I don't know about you, but I found that profoundly moving when we interviewed her. And actually, she spoke for hours and hours and hours. She spoke, had so much to say about it. It was really tough just to try and condense it down into a few minutes, but it is a little-known side of history. And sometimes, as Christians, we're called to make a stand for the things that we believe to be true as we read the Bible. Which actually, another point for me was that I think peacemakers develop a heart for peace and are prepared to put themselves in harm's way or take difficult decisions sometimes and do all the other things I've said because it stems out of a life of prayer and reflection in front of the Lord, actually. Like the more, I know we keep saying things like this, every conference you go to and every sermon you hear, people say, read your Bible more. But actually, I think it's more than that. The more that you reflect... And the more that you place yourself in God's presence, the more you get a perspective on stuff. And the more you hear his voice, and the more courage you feel to take a stand, the stronger your ability will be to pursue the things that please God, actually. So I, for me, it would be, you have to build it around your lifestyle. But you know, I'm arguably quite busy, so for me, driving into work or riding in on my motorbike over the peaks every morning, that's a real time for me. And if I'm in the car, I listen to a cheeky bit of David Suchet reading the Bible. Quite like it. It's quite posh, actually. But I do quite like it. And I soak it in that way. You know, I, I like a bit of Bethel worship, and I play a bit of that at like, top volume. And it's just things. And then 
I do actually turn everything off quite a lot. And I just allow my thoughts to gather. So yesterday on the way to the vision night, I actually drove into Manchester with everything turned off. And I'm just getting my heart in a place where I could hear from the Lord. And, do you know what I mean? And I think the more we build those things into our lives, the more and more you hear God's Spirit, the more you receive from Him, and the closer your heart will be to God's heart, or the more you will realise your actions might be out of step with God's heart, and the more you have to try and align yourself, which is all the work of the Spirit. But I think that the story of that man, that is evidently, from the way that comes across, a man who had spent his time in front of the word of the Lord and had heard his voice. And for him, that was his response. Others would have had another response and actually were going to combat. And it's your walk before the Lord, isn't it? So I'm not in any way prescribing what your response is. My job is to try and point us to Christ and say if more and more we spend our time in worship and prayer, the more and more we will have the strength to face up and face difficult things. And sometimes, in all honesty, conflict isn't always resolved this side of eternity. That's, that's the reality. Some things are just tough. Some things don't work out. But then it's all about how you respond. And keeping your heart right. And you keeping a short account with the Lord. And